Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. It is Tuesday, September 5th, about 5.30 p.m., getting up about 12 hours from now, doing a little bit of work at home, and then blasting down to good old WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, where on Wednesday, going to play 1998 Kart IndyCar Series with Brian Herta and Colton Herta. Brian being the very kind man that he is rang me, I don't know, a month ago, six weeks ago and said, Hey, having the car fully rebuilt and freshened and the Cosworth motor redone and everything's going to be amazing. And what do you think about coming down and documenting it and putting some cameras on the car and doing all kinds of great stuff? And I said, yes, <laughs> of course, absolutely. Uh, I'm a diehard cart IndyCar series guy having loved it since I was a kid, having been fortunate to work in it uh, for Hogan Racing. And back then, the Indy Light Series was a frequent opening act for it. Same with the SCCA Pro Formula Atlantic Series. So just grew up around cart, loved it, saw it, was there in 98 for Brian's very first win in this car. All great stuff. So can't wait. That's going to be Wednesday. Got another video or two to do while I'm there. Thursday, there's, I think, about a four-hour, five-hour test at the track, and I'll be there for that. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, final days of the 2023 NTT IndyCar Series season. Happened to fly home Sunday night from Portland, catching that good old Southwest uh, plane from PDX to SJC. And most of the folks in the paddock who were in the know from back in the day were not flying back, as one of the Andretti mechanics reminded me. They were all at the Greg Moore Celebration of Life, the annual celebration that Max Pappas, the good man Albert Cook, Dario Franchitti, some others put on and unfortunately had to come home, couldn't attend that, did last year, and it was just phenomenal. But there were one or two others who were from the event Caught the same flight. A certain guy by the name of Tim Sendrick, team Penske president, and was talking about this Brian Herta Wednesday thing, Colton Herta thing, and I knew it was Brian's first cart IndyCar Series win. Again, 25 years ago. Didn't know that it was Tim's as well. Knew that he'd been there at Ray Hall for a little while, but had forgotten that this too was his very first win. And also, uh, Kyle Moyer, I don't even know his official title, but super smart and good guy in charge of a lot of important stuff at Penske. He was on the flight too. So that was all kinds of fun. Let me say a big thanks as always to y'all for the questions you send in. Our dear, dear pal, Jerry Sudduth, who puts them all together. Let me find it here. Uh, what does he say? 45 questions and over 2,200 words this week. I'm going to do my best to get through a bunch, but I will not be doing an overtime episode. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice at all, but huh, uh, managed to catch the bubonic plague from somebody at the Brickyard Grand Prix, spent the next weekend in Monterey, and then the weekend after that at Gateway, getting fully recharged, feeling better, and I don't know what, but someone gave me something with kind of a sore throat, nasally thing. It's not too bad, but... My energy is pretty low, so apologies if you hear me snoring or if I make you snore during this episode. Big thanks, as always, as well to Cooper Tires. Just completed 14 years. Final event, the USF Championships, presented by Cooper Tires. 
champions crowned last weekend. Simon Sykes, great kid from Georgia. Miles Rowe, great kid from Georgia. The two of them, your new USF 2000 and USF Pro 2000 champions, respectively. And we are on the clock with some great news about one of those two kids here pretty darn soon. So, yeah, thank you, Cooper. Seriously. Uh, they've been, I think, one of our two oldest show partners. Even if they weren't, wouldn't matter. I'd be telling you the same thing. I'm so thankful for them, as are hundreds of others. Chris Pantani, in particular, driving this Cooper Tires program forward for about a decade and a half. And beyond just supporting what we call the Road to Indy with tires, it's been the insane amounts of money contributed to help the likes of your Joseph Newgardens, your Spencer Piggott's, your Kyle Kirkwood's, your Colton Herta's, Pato O'Ward's, Renus VK's, David Malukas's, and on and on and on and on. All move upwards, all the way to IndyCar, all the way to something. Uh, boy, I tell you what. These are pretty amazing people. So just a huge thanks to them. Really sad to see them go. Of course, we will welcome in Continental Tire, who are coming in to backfill this position here. So we'll welcome them next season. But truly, just a huge thanks to Chris and Cooper because this is an example of a company doing things way bigger (laughs) and that go so far beyond just marketing and promoting the thing that they make and sell. Uh, they have changed countless, countless lives. Let's also say a huge thank you to the Justice Brothers, makers of automotive chemicals and lubricants, been a part of the Pruitt family's life since the 1970s. Also to Discount Tire, new partner in the USF Championships this year, and then our original friend, our original pals and original show partner, torontomotorsports.com, motor racing memorabilia, all from Canada. Great folks. Check them out, please. TorontoMotorsports.com. What else can I tell you? Uh, hey, uh, if you get a chance, if you're a fan of Formula One and or a fan of Will Buxton, send him a thanks. I reached out to him Saturday night, I think, and just said, hey, uh, you would know how to get a hold of the right people at the Mercedes Formula One team and or Lewis directly. If possible, could you do that? And please ask. If it would be possible for Lewis to uh, give some sort of love to Miles for his achievement, and indeed that happens. So big thanks to Will Buxton. It's great to have amazing friends who are not only helpful but on the same wavelength. So that was really cool. Uh, On the topic of Miles, first texts after the race from our mutual friend Willie T. Ribs. Still need to get a story done with some pretty cool things Willie T. told me during that uh, text exchange and then also in a call right after that i recorded more good stuff coming there one quick thing before we get rolling had a couple of y'all ask and had a lot of people ask last weekend hey are you in some twitter beef with another reporter to which the answer has been no <laughs> no i just felt sad um no that kind of stuff someone running their mouth from two thousand miles away in the safety of their basement or wherever yeah that's not how you do things. If you have an issue with someone, you present it to that person directly, right in front of them, standing directly in front of them, not from half a country away on Twitter. So, no, uh, not at all. 
but I will be in Monterey all weekend and there will be opportunities for conversations to be held. So looking forward to that just slightly less than the running of that Renard Cosworth on Wednesday. So let's get rolling with the show and we're going to kick things off with Michael Bragg says if Alex Pillow decides that he wants to stay in IndyCar with Ganassi for the rest of his career, could he challenge Scott Dixon for the total number of championships in the series? Indeed, Dixie's still trying to catch AJ Foyt, but Dixie's six are, I mean, <laughs> uh, almost once in a lifetime thing for some of us who've been around a little while, been fortunate uh, to witness AJ, uh, or at least I was alive when he captured his seventh, but I don't know if I actually was old enough to watch it and remember it. But nonetheless, without a doubt, uh, the only wrinkle here, Michael, is we are indeed going hybrid next season. And if we weren't, if we were sticking with this exact formula, no motor changes, no chassis changes, no anything, just what we've had the last few years is going forward uninterrupted. It'd be ridiculous to pencil in anybody other than Alex Pillow as your 2024, 25, 26 champion. Not saying others, Scott Dixon included, couldn't beat him, but based on the form he's shown, two titles in the last three years, and if it weren't for him kind of derailing himself last year, very likely he could be three for three with Chip Ganassi. Yeah, Michael, I do absolutely see his ability if he decides to stick with his current team. Or who knows, maybe however many years down the road, a Team Penske comes calling. Or maybe Errol Mc... Not going to back that one up. Maybe not Errol McLaren, but this guy is just... We don't even know how good he is. Like the five wins he's had this year uh just dumb <laughs> just dumb how good he is keep in mind that he has a pretty phenomenal race engineer in julian robertson assuming julian wants to continue for many years to come i imagine he would right you get a guy like this that's not when you think about retiring uh ricky davis crew chief right i don't think rick's trying to go anywhere anytime soon barry wanzer yeah he's gonna come back from uh, the, this cancer that he's fighting and going to win, and he'll be back for hopefully a few more years. But I look at this, Michael, and say, with the team that they have, and if everything stays good, say the, the Honda motor uh, combined with the energy recovery system, everything works just as well there as any of the leading Chevy teams with that same spec ERS unit. Assuming Honda hasn't lost a step, has at least maintained where it is right now, uh, this guy should retire with four, five, six, who knows how many of these. Um, what an amazing time we live in, knowing that that is possible. Also, Scott Dixon. <laughs> Give this guy a chance to save fuel, which that's a pretty cool thing about energy recovery systems, where that is a valuable part of what you do. Uh, we could see him tie A.J. Foyt without a doubt and get that seventh title, if not add more. And I apologize, my voice is already starting to break up. Let's go to our pal, Victoria Morrell. She says, first, thanks for all you do to keep us IndyCar fanatics informed. Well, I guess you could say I'm a fellow fanatic, Victoria. 
She says, I was just wondering, why wait until this coming weekend to give the Astor Cup to Palo uh, if he clinched it at Portland? So it's been a long time since someone won the title before the last race, but seem to recall the trophy was presented to the winner uh, at the race where they clinched it at, or am I remembering things wrong? Uh, the last time that happened would have been 2007 with our French fry Sebastian Bourdais, and I just don't remember the timing of when he was given the big, big, big trophy. Um, yeah, I did think about this, did wonder. Um, knowing that Monterey is pitched and sold as the big season finale, even though we are not crowning a champion uh, at the conclusion of the race, my guess here is want to give something to Monterey. So the ability to hold that celebration, to have that kind of send off, I think that's the uh, probably the direction that they're going with this. Also knowing that this is the last season finale at Monterey, probably yet another reason to make sure that they feel good uh, since this is being taken over next year by Nashville. So I hear you, uh, but also think that from a TV booking time as well, probably, Victoria, I'd have to guess that this coming Sunday has a, a extra allotment of time and I do apologize here, I'm struggling with my voice, but I'd have to guess that Sunday there's an extra allotment of time for all of these Astor Cup-related championship-based things to take place. Uh, Chris Hoffman, you are one of many to ask. How did Alex Pelot not get a penalty or at least a review for his blocking of Elio at Portland? Don't know if there was a lack of review. I would assume there was. Uh, as for not get a penalty, I know this stood out to a lot of folks who I saw comment on the good old social medias that this guy should have gotten a penalty. And it's not because Alex Pelot is a member of the Prude listener group of the podcast or whatever else. Um, his is the one non-call that I didn't have a huge disagreement with. Why? I realize that in a fair, equal, you name it world, that shouldn't matter who you are, uh, if you do something like that, you should be penalized, period. I realize that where he came out, he was indeed right in front of Elio, not just on track, but also numerically, meaning whatever position Elio was in, Alex was right in front of him, and they weren't in the lead, right? Uh, we're having to wait for others to pit for him to shuffle forward. I didn't feel too bad about this move there's two things that came to mind so again not saying this is something you might agree with chris but at least i can share my thoughts this guy is running at the front leading the race championship leader pitts comes out obviously a little deeper in the field the whomever he came out in front of was not someone he was legitimately competing against i know that in the moment he was but we also know that it doesn't matter who he came out in front of in 12th place or 18th or whatever it was, his car was fast enough, he was fast enough to where he was going to haul butt and leave that person behind. On cold tires, you realize that he is exposed briefly until they get up to speed. The fact that the guy who was the fastest, the leader, who just pitted and fell back, came out in front of someone who was running back there based on true pace, Elio was where he belonged, right? Alex was not. 
He was going to leap forward. We knew that. That was the first thing that came to mind of like, okay, this is a super temporary thing. I get why Alex is not wanting to be slowed even more uh, by someone who does not have the same kind of pace just because he's on cold tires for about a half a lap. So I know it was super aggressive. I saw it and was like, it's super borderline, but I get it based on who you are in this race. The other thing, this is maybe the historical context part, the driver with the worst reputation for blocking, Elio Castroneves. Love him, but I'm just speaking the truth. Since he came to IndyCar, like one of the gold standards of taking whatever we thought was blocking beforehand, and holy cow, <laughs> turning it into a new art form that everyone else had to try and, and decipher or figure out or do their own version of. So I'm not saying that those in race control would look at this and say, well, you know, Elio, he's kind of one of the originators of this. So it being done to him makes it okay. Realize it doesn't, but at least share with you, Chris, what flashed through my mind. Um, if Polo was running 12th, and pitted and came out in front of Elio and whatever, 18th. And I would say, yep, uh, give that guy something uh, to penalize him for that behavior. In this instance, uh, yeah, he was temporarily there and gone the moment those tires warmed up. Uh, let's see, Ed Joris, you say, since Ray Hall was so good on primary tires of Portland, why did he choose to start the race on red? Seemed doomed from the word go. Well, I mean... <laughs> it's not like he was the only one, Ed. I know he's on pole, but uh, my guess is he felt that alternate tires were being consumed at a slightly higher rate than optimal, and car was good, thought the car was best on primary, said that after the pole. My guess is, and I would go with this thinking as well, based on what he said on Saturday, get those reds run, get those alternates run, get them off and spend the majority of the race on the tires that you believe are best. Things clearly didn't work out. Hindsight being one of those great things where Polo, starting on primaries, just did magical things. Uh, but I, going into the race, saw nothing in Graham's thoughts for strategy that said, oh, you're doomed. So it's what ended up happening, but hindsight, uh, a great, great thing. Uh, Texan Ombre, say howdy, MP. Hope all is going well with Chabelle and the Cats. Well, thank you. I got Rocky snoring behind me for this episode. How you doing, bud? Oh, no. Somebody wants their belly rubbed. That's me, by the way. Uh, I guess Rocky gets a little belly rubbed too, buddy. Uh, says, RLL has finally gotten their cars to go fast, but seemingly lost track of their strategy game you heard any rumblings from the team about this aside from grimes diatribe during the race haven't that's just because i haven't spoken to them about this i think i mentioned starting to record here at 5 30 or so or whatever it is tuesday night uh i have spent the past day and a half getting up very early and working very late on some major client deliverables so things like investigating why this and why that haven't had the same amount of time to do that. So I apologize on that end. We'll just say in a wider context though, mention this in my end of race video, race recap video, 
This is three races in a row where Chip Ganassi Racing has won because of superior strategy choices matched with drivers who could make that superior strategy work. It's not a one-way thing where they said, hey, do this thing and it'll magically make us win. Obviously, Scott Dixon at the Brickyard and then again at Gateway, like the craziest magical fuel saving, fuel mileage, fuel every, like just easily the, the biggest masterclass of the season. But you take those two, you stack Alex in here at Portland where heard from race strategist and good pal Michael Gare after the race that this is something Alex pushed for. Hey, let's do this. Let's start on primaries and let's go long. Let's try and overcut, right? Bet a bunch of folks are going to do as we expect, like Ed mentioned about Graham on pole, starting on the faster, but uh, less durable alternates. And this guy not only did amazing things, not only made speed for so many laps on those primaries beyond what we thought was reasonable, but also was rewarded by not having any cautions come out. So bit of a risk here. And maybe that's the thing here. Maybe it's Ganassi's willingness, at least over the last three races, to say, yeah, that's the safe, expected, predictable thing. And probably get safe, predictable results. But in the case of Dixon, couldn't afford to do that with the championship uh, being pretty darn out of touch we know that he's not able to win it obviously but they had to do those kinds of things in a hail mary to catch polo and then polo coming into sunday's race saying i don't want to win this by hoping and lucking into something let's absolutely take hold of our destiny and try some ambitious stuff and they did won the freaking race and the championship so Team Penske, right? They got run out of the building. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, they got run out of the building. Errol McLaren got run out of the building and realized that some of the teams I just mentioned, their drivers had good finishes. None of them were touching Polo on Sunday, except for the possibility of a caution that would have ruined Polo's day, but it didn't. So, yeah, uh, just wouldn't limit this to RLL everybody that was not the 10 car and the nine car for that part even though uh, that handling of the late caution and leaving it open the pits open forever and whatnot was just yeah dumb but um they took big swings and were rewarded i wouldn't necessarily paint the other teams as being grossly negligent but i will say that of the main item that stood out end of the season heading into the off season I do think strategery is going to be a bigger area of investigation and tweaking and development than maybe we've ever seen. Because while their cars were plenty fast, it was ultimately the decisions between drivers, race strategists, and engineers over the last three races that claimed those victories. Uh, why don't we go to our pal Chris Kalewick. Chris, so MP, Pato, Joseph, and others have been real upset about last, 
lap traffic lately. I was about to say laughed traffic. So maybe they're passing f- wise guys and funny peoples. Say NASCAR lets lappers come around to the back on cautions. What's the best solution for IndyCar? Say something needs to change. Uh, I don't know. Does it, Chris? Um, this has always been the thing, right? Um, I know that folks who are frustrated at not winning or whatever it is tend to see a lot more critical items that need fixing, but I don't think that there's been some sort of drastically bad uptick in lap traffic destroying races lately. I know that at Gateway, certainly there are some very fast cars who are not in highly competitive positions. That's problematic for sure, but I don't know. Um, I, I know what you're saying. I know what they have said. I haven't seen anything jump out that makes me think, oof, this is new and worse than it's been in a while, and it needs attention. If I see more of it, I'll definitely say yes and be in agreement, but haven't seen that trend to say that we got to change something or do things drastically like another series. Uh, Ryan Terpstra. (laughs) Thanks for just using the letter instead of the whole word here. What the F is wrong with race control? Does the series know how how they absolutely have to do something about it? I feel like I've said this on the podcast, I don't know, Ryan, three, five, I don't know however many times in recent months. Whatever I think race control is going to do in IndyCar, they do the opposite. And I am starting to really feel dumberer because I forget this. And so I go into a race and I'm like, oh, hey, Mark Erickson, um, that wasn't good. Uh, there's no reason for that. And now Rossi's race is pretty seriously compromised. Um, that just seemed to be overly aggressive or I don't know what, but that was a thousand percent not called for. Clearly there's good. Okay. No, there's no penalty for that. And Hey, what, no. Okay. Hey. Going off the final little chicane complex, whatever they call it, turn 11, turn 12, onto the main straight where Augustine went off. Everybody went off there over and over and over again. IndyCar, the U.S. Touring Car Championship that was running there. Every, all three junior open wheel categories, this is where everybody went off. Not saying it's the only place, but it is the place that seemingly more than any other part of the track uh, folks went off throughout the event practices qualifyings you name it um it's fast it's dangerous and since someone like augustine went off on his own made a mistake etc right his fault okay but he wasn't exactly a mile off the racing line and where he ended up is exactly where someone else could very easily end up at a high rate of speed the fact that indycar decided to call for a caution would tell you that they're in agreement The fact that they waited so dang long to try and leave the pits open and not disadvantage anybody, even though it did. And I get it if a car is way the heck off the racing line and you're like, you know, it's a million to one odds that anyone could get out there. I get leaving the pits open, not trying to negatively impact someone's race. When the driver's pretty darn close to the racing line and you know this is where everyone's going off, This is where I think you just err 
on safety first and foremost nothing else matters yet again it's not what happened so i feel like i'm forgetting one or two other things during the race where it was like really nothing and you all know i'm not a big penalty guy i'm not the one here barking all the time but everybody needs to be stopped and 60 or whatever drive throughs for everyone and i'm not that person but yeah i just feel like i have no idea ryan as to what race control will decide is or isn't a penalty and if i was smarter i would remember i just saw a thing tell yourself the opposite is what will happen and that's what i need to do so i'll stop being surprised and disappointed our dear friend cassie mama g-force mark sanchez you also had a similar question you said all right so we wrapped up the championship congrats to our og pru driver alex Pelo, who announced on sports center that he and his wife esther are expecting a baby girl which is just uh, so happy for those crazy kids that's so cool uh cassie says now let's talk about what other stories we should be watching at laguna is a leader circle rookie of the year drivers have nothing to lose and just want to win what stories should us fans keep an eye out for need to look at my list cassie but i did start a bit of a farewell story farewell something where we know that elio this is his final race as a full-time mini car driver he'll be back for the next two indy 500s which is awesome but this is uh, the end of a amazing full-time career simon pagino uh he is bound and determined to come back i am positive that some team will want him for the indianapolis 500 knowing the seats that are still open and how swiftly i expect many of them to get filled i don't know if and what kind of full-time return remains available to our guy ryan hunter ray is this his last full-time since he's come in halfway through the season but is this the end of his full-time return to indycar will he be back for the indy 500 is this it i don't know our pal billy vincent team manager at Aero mclaren also felix rosenquist strategist this is his last race for the team He'll be stepping away for a while, focusing on his karting business and other stuff. But like, it's crazy to think, Cassie, that Billy, someone who I usually see five or ten times a weekend, and I don't just mean like from a distance, but like see him, stop, talk, catch up about whatever. I mean, this you know, forever, right? Not just at Arrow McLaren, but just one of those great people in the paddock. Um, we're losing Billy, uh, Ziggy, Paul Ziggy Harkis team manager at andretti this is supposed to be his final race um run down the list what other drivers might not be back there are some romain Grosjean, right um not sure how next year is gonna pan out he has options there are three teams that i know of uh that are expressing interest some more than others but will that work out if not, I don't know. Um, could be our last race with Romain. Um, hopes not, but very well could be. Um, trying to think who else. 
probably need to pull this up and look because, again, my brain's maybe going a little soft here. I think we're going to have Augustine Canapino back next year, but uh, I haven't heard any guarantees. So, again, uh, I'm treating some of this like, love you, <laughs> I want you to go, but uh, I don't control these things. So, in a number of instances, we are expecting Cassie to come back next year and especially with a number of the veterans who we've loved and rooted for for a long time, champions, Indy 500 winners, and you name it. Um, we might be showing up at St. Pete next year and wherever else and not have some of these mainstays in our lives. So I'm not trying to bring you down, but that's the first thing. Second, we will be crowning a new Indy NXT champion uh, things have to go amazingly well for that super sweet and just big, tall bundle of energy being Hunter McElray for him to uh, come away with the championship, barring some crazy uh, interference from the universe. Christian Rasmussen at HMD Motorsports should claim the title, so we'll be looking to that, cheering for him. Rookie of the Year stuff, I don't know. Um Marcus Armstrong should win it, having missed five of the 17 races, which is a little crazy. But uh, leader circle, probably going to be the one truly interesting thing to follow during the race itself. Um, I need to look into the entrance points here just to see where things have changed from Portland. But I think, as I mentioned recently, like for some teams it really will help but ultimately we're all talking about we're talking about millionaires hoping to get more millions to run race cars not someone on a shoestring budget whose life will radically change for the good or for the worse if they don't get it like it matters but <clears throat> nobody <clears throat> in the running for a leader circle is going to shut down their team if they don't get it um you know, maybe the, the one last thing I would say, Cassie, and maybe this is the biggest thing overall. It's the duh, obvious statement, but we got one race left. How many folks are in that, oh my goodness, all season long this thing hasn't happened, and I only have one more opportunity for it. So <coughs> I know talking to our guy, DJ Willie P, Will Power, yeah, he got two poles at Iowa, but he mentioned last weekend that he hasn't, I believe, qualified in a Firestone Fast 6. Could be wrong. That's what he said, but uh, I haven't looked it up to confirm. But DJ Willie P not being not only on pole, but in the Fast 6 at a Rotor Street course, that's insane. Uh, Pato Award, Colton Herta, zero wins. That's completely insane. Um, what else? Who? I mean, Will Power as well, the defending champ. Had a number of podiums, but no wins there. Uh, Alexander Rossi as well. Had a really good year so far, right? He's up to ninth. Strong run at his home race. Could improve that, strengthen that a little bit. Um, those in front of him would need to have a little bit of adversity for him to move up. But still, that's pretty darn good. I think he was 10th last year. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Looking at a few others, Renus VK, best weekend of the year in terms of finishing result. That being sixth at Portland, I'd hope. Uh, track that, granted, 
more hills than Portland for sure, but <clears throat> I'd hope he'd go well there. What else? Davey Malukas, maybe these are the send-offs as well. Davey Malukas heading to a new team where he will be wearing good old papaya orange. How does he uh, say farewell to Dale Coyne? Is it with a podium or who knows? Um, Felix Rosenqvist, obviously. Best result of the year last weekend, finishing second for his new home that he's headed to. Like, you know, he's definitely in the nothing to lose. It's funny, he said that to me walking out from the media center after the race. He's like, I was like, hey, geez, you know, I haven't seen you drive that aggressive in a while. He's like, nothing to lose. And I'm like, yeah, that's my guy. So <clears throat> a lot of themes in here. Cassie, I don't know if any of them are really captivating. Some of them are uh, uh, a little sad with some of the farewells that are going to be happening. But, yeah, um, you know what we've seen at this track a couple times in recent years? It is just a mud stomping, right? Colton Herta just running away by a million seconds and destroying the field. I feel like Rossi maybe has done that as well. We know that Polo did that last year. Um, who knows? Is someone going to do that here to close the season? will be a closely fought thing <coughs> sorry y'all i just don't know so let's see what other questions we can get to before my voice blows up our guy oscar c love asks when will miles Rowe get a sniff of an indycar test probably this time next year we know he'll be heading towards indy nxt just don't know how well he's going to do oscar but yeah uh he's demonstrated everything that says he is headed towards IndyCar, so about a year from now, if he has a good Indy NXT season, I definitely think uh, this could be a thing that they're looking to do. Steve Bonick, say, MP, it's a twofer. You say, so, Miles Rowe seems like he's gotten better as he has moved up the ladder. Any idea why? You say, also, we in the Prude have kicked around the idea that after NXT, he might be one of those Penske and waiting drivers and go to Foyt first. What says you? Yes, I believe I kind of sort of wrote that exact thing, Brother Steve, uh, in that Foyt-Penske technical alliance piece. Um, there's a couple layers to this, but first and foremost, it's the ability for when a Miles Row is ready for IndyCar to have a satellite team that is capable of running him and running him at a high level because Penske does not run extra cars, especially for rookies. And I believe Will Power, the oldest of the three drivers, I believe he signed through at least 2025, which, again, could be the year that Miles makes his debut in IndyCar. So just thinking of the when might a seat be open at the mothership, uh, even if there was one, uh, whenever Miles is ready, that's just not a Penske thing. So yes, 100%, this arrangement with many kind of strands to it, one of them, the key one, uh, coming back for Penske and what they get out of this is the ability for the Foyts to run an extra car for them for Miles, uh, assuming Miles progresses, uh, which no reason to believe that he wouldn't. And yeah, that's the plan. Um, I mean, Miles... I don't know if he's gotten any faster. What he's gotten is more consistent and less mistake-prone. And I've just said the thing that we say about every young driver as they move up, the high-quality drivers, as they move up from USF Juniors to USF 2000, USF Pro 2000, Indian NXT, like with that extra year of maturity, they're supposed to 
be better throw the thing off the road less blow fewer apexes lock up fewer brakes run into the back of people or side of people and jeopardize their races miles struggled a little bit and one or two rain races i think just being overly conservative not wanting to jeopardize his points lead but yeah for the most part um i've seen nothing but great improvement from him falling right in line with what we would expect for a super talented kid like him uh indy nathan they've been impressed by usf 2000 drivers who moved up late in the season were immediately competitive even juan in nikita johnson's case say other than roe who do you see as potentially the next indycar stars currently in the usf championships presented by cooper tires huh well i mean let's start first with simon sykes our new usf 2000 champ he'll be moving up um kiko porto for sure who is miles main title rival uh, michael de orlando who i would say was miles most consistent challenger just from a points standpoint a really terrible start to the season so while he wasn't really in the the championship hunt he did give miles fits and outran him a number of times lots of polls etc michael Deerlando, kiko porto for sure simon sykes you already mentioned nikita who's like 15 and doing silly silly good things uh locky hughes has impressed me um bijoy garg i wish yeah, i hope he's able to go farther up uh yuvin sundara morthy he's i know uh dipping his toes into nxt already but you know that kid's got talent there's a lot nathan there really are and <clears throat> i mean yeah we'll just go with them for now and maybe if i have a clear head we'll uh talk about some more in a future episode uh steve garbasiak you say marshall what is your take on the apparently ugly divorce going on between groshaw and andretti that very visible shouting master and qualifying was cringeworthy it was um this is a team that knows he is not returning and that's not new news to them but <clears throat> I think what we saw playing out is a team that's had enough of being barked at and blamed uh, for by Romain for seemingly everything. And I'm not saying the team hasn't made mistakes; their fair share this season. But like Josh Frund, for example, um, one of the most affable guys you'll meet, most down to earth, blue collar, like just solid straightforward guy when josh is firing back at you you know you have pissed someone off and really messed up and that's exactly what happened but the relationship between roma and his team team owner you name it um bad 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 uh i mentioned in my post-race video that like i'm <clears throat> if i were to read that another driver was going to be in the 28 car this weekend i i just i would not be the least bit uh blown away by that um just because this is something that it's needed to be over last weekend certainly was proof that it needs to be over uh we'll see if they ended up they end up finishing out the season together with this final race but uh what you saw was a crew that had enough what you also saw is a relationship that's been 
more bad than good for the majority of time they've been together. So uh, we'll see where things end up for both in terms of does Roma land somewhere? Does Andretti decide to keep that entry going? Or do they decide to shut that down? Uh, I'd mentioned that Stingray Rob, his managers have found a crazy amount of money. Uh, know that they're on Andretti's radar. Not the only team, but uh, that could be a reason to keep that fourth car going because sometimes the payday is so big, you just would be <laughs> be a dereliction of duty to yourself if you didn't. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, uh, done deal. Been done for a while. Ain't happening. Not going forward. Uh, there's a whole other story that I should hope to be able to tell here soon that I've known about for months, uh, been told by folks for months, and have sat on, um, asked a team principal about it, and they didn't want to acknowledge what I was asking directly, but answered the question in a very different way that let me know that what I'd been hearing was 100% correct. So been holding that just because it serves no purpose to present that to the public right now. But yeah, this isn't something that just fell apart recently. This isn't something where there was a recent decision to not go forward. Uh, this has been in this direction for a while now. Uh, Garen Porter. Garen, by the way, it's great to see you. Uh, in good old gateway, uh, you say wishing you, the wife and the cats all the best. Thank you. You say with this new relationship between Foyt racing and Penske, how much input will Penske have on who is in the 14 and the 55 cars? If any, I don't think any, um, unless it's someone truly objectionable, who would that be? I don't know. No one comes to mind, but ultimately they're not being paid, to my knowledge, for any of this technology, dampers, setups, etc. Um, if the team were to say, hey, we found somebody, and you go, that person is bad at driving race cars, but they have a lot of money, that might be a case where Penske says, okay, cool, but you don't need our technology for them to go slow. Um, that's the only situation I can really think of, Garen. Uh, I know the team is trying to put the two best drivers with the strongest funding possible behind them. Does that mean Santino returns? Does that mean Benjamin Peterson returns? Benjamin has a multi-year contract, but they've been looking around the paddock and we're talking divorces. I do think that uh, that relationship, if it were to not continue, would be in both parties' interest. But yeah. I don't think Penske is going to get too involved. I'm sure they would at least like to know who the finalists are and maybe offer any input uh, because those Penske folks are pretty good at racing and probably have some insights that would be worth listening to before final decisions are made. Uh, Steve Bonnick, you're back again saying any car schedule. Why does it take so long? You say, I know they must work with other racing series for the schedule. I'm sure some things are still being worked on, but it does seem to take forever. Has it always been this way? It has not. Um, had a little bit of an update last weekend that suggests the post 
season 2024 visit to Argentina might be healthier than recently anticipated. So that might be a thing uh, in terms of does IndyCar want to get the entire schedule nailed before announcing, or if there's one big lingering thing like this, do you want to put out the points paying schedule and say that there's still a TBD postseason? Um, I could be wrong, but in one of my most recent updates, had heard that you know not every track is a hundred percent done. Right, there is still some getting things worked out type stuff happening. I know that there's an absolute wish by IndyCar to get the schedule out before the season finale, meaning <laughs> before we go home Sunday night, they would love to have the schedule out. Will that happen? I don't know. Just need to ask if that is likely to happen. Um, was told not so long ago that yes, that is indeed everything they're working for, but sometimes plans and timelines change. Uh, James Lau, how you doing, James? Any idea what kind of pay or compensation a substitute driver gets, like Connor Daly or Tom Blomqvist or Yuri Vips? Mostly wondering about the Connor type, um, where they so far don't have anything for the future. So they're making money purely as one-off substitute drivers. It's one of those how long is a piece of string questions, James, where what does a Meyer Shank pay versus a Ray Hall? I don't know. <clears throat> Haven't asked Connor. I've heard that there are some teams who <laughs> maybe are more generous for those in these one-off situations where they really do have a big need for a quality driver, then maybe some drivers get, or if you break things down to a per race basis, divide their annual salary by 17 rounds. Uh, I have heard that at least one of the drivers you mentioned, um, maybe was really surprised to learn how low their annual salary was. Um, and yeah, uh, Hey, being a sub doesn't hurt. Uh, Jeremy Davis, you say, I know the race season is not over, but after the momentum that Dixie and the Ganassi team have had, got to think this is going to help them going into the 24 season, right? Say huge congrats to Alex and way to win for our guy, Barry Wanzer. Yeah, opened up with a little bit of this, Jeremy. I mean, the momentum is certainly something we can count on. It's a real thing, right? This is quality being demonstrated. There's been some luck in here for sure. Alex's worst finish this year, right? Through 16 races, his most terrible day, eighth place. Like, this is almost historically just, what? Like, it, it yeah, uh, doesn't make a ton of sense with how good things have gone for him, but that is indeed what has happened. So, you think about the quality that they have, not only built into that 10 car with Alex, but also that nine car with Dixon, where he's, again, thanks to Pato, he had a 27th place at Long Beach. But his average everywhere else, in terms of worst finish, it's actually better than Alex, right? If not for that Long Beach, where he was running well, his worst finish at every other track is a seventh, right? Some sixth. This guy could easily have been challenging for the championship um, harder, I should say, 
if not for finishing last, I believe, at Long Beach. But that momentum is real. Erickson, obviously, winning the opening round and having some other good finishes. He's going to, again, we'll see where he finishes in the season-long thing after Laguna, but he's currently sixth. Um, this team as a whole has found something phenomenal, and so that doesn't go away. Does mean, though, that a Team Penske will be fighting back like mad. Same with Team Chevy. Uh, same with Aaron McLaren and Dreddy Autosport. We'll see how much they gain to where they were against Ganassi this year, but Ganassi will also be working hard to try and capture more ground. The other quick thing to mention, too, circling back to the whole hybrid side, Ganassi's been a pretty consistent and busy team in terms of doing the hybrid work for Honda. So other Honda-powered teams should be sharing in that and doing some of that for Honda, but I can just tell you that you know this is a team that's been rightfully so stuck in from the beginning to help administer this and that too jeremy can only help when we come back and go racing in 2024 last couple of uh questions here this one's just below the cut line but uh i'll go with it it's the first one um jeff zerneski you say marshall in one of the recent silly season articles you mentioned a quality team uh was considering a certain unemployed driver so what teams are not quality teams I love it when folks are like, hey, uh, say words to make teams really hate you and throw tools at you when you walk by. Um, Real easy answer, Jeff. Look at the teams with drivers inside the top 12, 13, 14, maybe, yeah, 14 positions in the championship, and you can say they are demonstrating quality some more than others, but overall, there's some pretty serious season-long quality on display from those teams. You move down to 15th and below in the championship, and some of them have done some pretty impressive things on smaller budgets, smaller staffs, otherwise. So give them a lot of props. But while there are grades of quality in every racing series or whatever sport, we, of course, acknowledge those and say, hey, Callum Eilat running 17th for Hunko's Hollinger Racing in its first year as a two-car operation. It's huge. Santino Ferrucci, 18th for Foyt. Like, what? It's amazing. But there's also the harder edge to this, Jeff, where you go, those things are cool, and they cannot be denied. But that's not what history remembers. <laughs> it's the teams that do the winning. The only teams that have done that have drivers placed inside the top 14. And so for this season, the answer is all those going into Laguna with drivers in the top 14 in the championship would be considered quality teams in this season. That may very well change next, but that's what we got right now. Uh, last couple of quick ones and then we're done uh kec 13 from the tweeters asks have there been more lost wheels than usual and any chatter that teams find the new post flying tire at the 500 system harder to work with um no on the last question there and i apologize i don't have your name just have your at kec s 113 twitter handle um no on the latter part because there's nothing changed uh 
in what the tire changers interact with the hub the threads the studs on the flans that go into the backside of the wheel all of those things are identical so there's nothing that's changed in removing a wheel or putting a wheel on front or rear that is different uh, as for more lost wheels meaning unattached coming off it feels like we might have one or two more this season than normal but it doesn't feel like at least to me there's any kind of great increase uh thanks for asking by the way sorry as i'm struggling to get my face to work with my mouth um andrew howell asking about andretti fourth car you say you're a first time rider and question is about that fourth card andretti do you know if they will run it so do you guess that the driver mentioned stingray rob had heard and i think i put in a silly season as well um let me see no the new code word is uh don't be surprised if uh, there might be some sort of angle involving peretta autosport uh as well have heard that there could be a tatiana calderon angle attached to beth if that's the direction they were to go that's not with stingray rob uh, but that's what I think I'd written about originally because I'd heard that and had that on good account from multiple places. Uh, Stingray last weekend is the one where I really heard that, again, the rumors between 8 and $9 million have been found um, to support him, which would be great. So those are the things that I've heard. Other rumors, and I do mean this is rumor, as in I've heard it from a couple of places, but I have not chased it down to verify, is... If they were to drop down to three cars, uh, what would they do with that fourth? Could someone else buy it, lease it? You know, sometimes getting access to a car is a pretty valuable thing, whether it's for the Indy 500 or who knows what. If Andretti does decide to downsize, what would they do with that extra car? Hold on to it? Just make it a spare? Or, again, if they wanted to run an extra driver at select rounds, use it? Would they sell it to somebody? I don't know, but I've heard that could be among the possibility so andrew thank you for writing in appreciate you and hopefully this isn't your first and last time uh we're going to close the show with uh, jason gagnon and i might have mispronounced your last name but at least for what i think i learned in high school french uh that's how i should pronounce your last name uh and if it's not uh send me something hostile that says hey idiot this is how to say it correctly next time you say with the season coming to an end you feel that the top two issues for drivers to address with indycar are Number one, how to better handle lap traffic. And two, the need for throwing yellows when the incident occurs. Yeah. Um, I would say I might move up to number one. The how could we modify the tire compounds constructions to generate fewer marbles? That's a thing that I certainly hear from drivers a ton. I know we answered previously with pato and joseph talking about lap traffic again not taking anything away from what they've said but if i heard five drivers 10 drivers all saying the same thing i would say yeah that would be number one but i haven't heard the that volume for me to place it at the top there um i don't know jason for number two if i'd go specifically on throwing yellows when the incident occurs this is not something that's just happened lately. This has been a thing for way too much of the year. 
and it is folks in the indycar paddock have a exceedingly low expectation for race control not going to name names not going to write just sharing with you and these are things that i <laughs> was hearing last weekend certainly have heard way too many weekends we are no longer surprised by the inaction or actions that are taken now you've heard me share some similar frustrations from time to time about race control this year but the thing that i hear probably more than any other topic is the lack of trust we don't know what they're going to do i know i've said that's my issue here too or I, whatever i think they're going to do they do the opposite i don't really hear folks telling me that what i hear folks is just saying i don't i have no feel for how they're going to do things from one incident to the next what's the consistency if you penalize this five races ago and the same thing happens at whatever race give the same penalty if you didn't penalize that behavior at the first race or the second race well don't penalize it at the third whatever it is like be linear be consistent we can trust in that we can work with that it's the no clue what this might be received as will you review it and do nothing we think this is a clear violation against us or whatever it is and okay no action taken yet again feels like it might be time might be time for significant change or two and that's not saying anyone in race control is bad negligent or otherwise but like you have in all sports hey head coach offensive coordinator defensive coordinator whomever sometimes some of the leadership one all who knows sometimes change isn't bad especially if you're feeling like not too pleased with the direction the program is going does indycar feel that way that's really what matters i wouldn't think so um they take lots of shots slings and arrows fired at them constantly it's what happens in motor racing between teams drivers and the folks in charge of running the race just saying here in all honesty jason it feels like the bond the connection the trust the we're on vaguely the same page is at a pretty darn low point and i don't know how that gets fixed with everyone being back on the same page with all the same players involved all right, that's about all my voice is going to support. Hopefully this won't get any worse this weekend. Appreciate y'all. Look forward to speaking to y'all here. We've crowned a champion. Uh, hopefully I'll have some time here to get some more podcasts with team people, driver people, crew people, engineer people, you name it, people. Have some fun here in the off offseason. Uh, I'm home for like two and a half days after Laguna. Uh, yeah, two days maybe. Yeah, and then fly to Indianapolis for the IMSA race, um, come home from there a little bit of time, and then, yeah, keep rolling here. My season really isn't done till the middle of October, but <sighs> look forward to getting some postseason fun. Headed out the door for y'all. Look forward to speaking to y'all soon. Big thanks, as always, to Jerry, all your great questions, to Cooper Tires, 
the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Discount Tire.